Hey, VCDC, I'm Ben Allen, and my lovely wife, Olivia, and I lead worship here at the church, and we also lead a small group. So let me start by saying that I'm sorry you'll be looking at me for the next 20 minutes and not her. I'd much rather look and listen to her. But I do feel like the Lord's given me a word for this morning. And as I was preparing for this talk and, and thinking about how churches across our country are probably talking about freedom this morning, I started reflecting on what freedom means to me and what freedom should mean to us as Christians. And in our country, we often use the word freedom to talk about being free of a tyrannical government, like of our revolution against the British. That's what we're celebrating this weekend, Independence Day. And others might look at freedom as freedom from a particular societal establishment or system. And still others might look at freedom as freedom from a particular scenario or from a particular relationship or particular situation. And I kind of fall in that third group. I often think about freedom as freedom from a, from a particular scenario. So let me start with a story. I should start by saying I was not a good grade school or middle school or high school or even college undergrad student. I was not a good student. I couldn't wait to get out of school. And for some reason, I was convinced that, uh, that my schooling was somehow some oppression against me to ruin my childhood. And I remember every day, every week, every quarter, every year, I couldn't wait to get out of school, especially on a Friday afternoon. On a Friday afternoon, uh, I remember this feeling in the back of the bus, my Friday on the back of the bus feeling, where I could say, oh, I'm done. I'm done with the week. And for at least a couple days, I was free from the tyrannical rule of a great public education and from teachers who loved and cared about me. So obviously, I, I didn't know what I was free from um, and should have appreciated it more. But I do remember that distinct feeling of freedom on a Friday, on the Friday on the bus feeling. And you may have that Friday on the bus feeling this weekend. You might have gotten Friday off of work, or you may get tomorrow off of work. And so you may have a Friday on the bus feeling, courtesy of our federal government. But you know, in Jesus's day, the Roman government was far more tyrannical than anything the British did to the U.S. Um, there was not even a hint of democracy in Jesus's day. There was Roman authoritarian rule. They were tyrannical. They appointed a puppet king, uh, Herod the Great, who uh, he was a tyrant as well. You may remember that he had all the boys aged two and younger killed because he was trying to kill Jesus. He thought Jesus would be a threat to his kingdom. And it wasn't just governmental tyranny. There, there were a lot of, of social injustices and, and social structures in Jesus's day that were, that were horrible. Foreigners were mistreated. Jews and their Samaritan neighbors hated one another, treated each other very poorly. Children were, uh, were barely considered important in society. Women were treated as second-class citizens. You name it, it was a mess. Every ism that we've seen in our country, Jesus had in his culture to, to a considerably greater degree. But, you know, Jesus didn't organize or support revolts against the tyrannical rule of his day. And that's what people wanted the most. They, what they really wanted was a revolt. In fact, they were, there were these Jewish-led revolts just a few years before Jesus' birth and just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection. But Jesus didn't participate in those. He made it clear that he didn't come to do that. You know, Jesus even paid his taxes. When Jesus chose the method that, that for which he would give his life and sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, he actually submitted to the Roman government's cruel capital punishment of crucifixion. And it wasn't just at a government level, a governmental level in Jesus' day. There were, there were lots of institutions that were tyrannical. Um, there was ridiculous hypocrisy in the institution of the church in Jesus' day. But, you know, Jesus would still preach in the temple when he was welcome to do that. And while the scriptures clearly show that Jesus was 
constantly righting many of those wrongs. Uh, he did them on a personal level. He didn't participate or launch any political or military or even economic revolt. And that must have meant that there was a more important freedom that Jesus came to give us. And it is a more important freedom. The freedom that Jesus gives starts from within, and it can bring change to all of those other areas. It can right all of the wrongs at personal and societal and even governmental levels. So let's pray, and then we'll talk about the freedom that Jesus gives. So Lord, I just thank you that you've given me a word to speak this morning. I just pray that I wouldn't say anything hurtless, <laughs> hurtful or careless. Lord, please keep me from saying anything hurtful or careless. I pray that you, would, uh, that you would just speak through me, that you would use me, and if necessary, just work in spite of me. Speak to each person, Lord. Amen. So, point number one. Uh, and I only have two points regarding the freedom that Jesus gives. They're pretty easy. First, the first point is this. The, the freedom that Jesus gives is not a freedom to do what we want so much as it is a freedom to do what God has for us to do. So most importantly, the freedom that Jesus gives us is the freedom that being a slave to sin would try to deny us. It's the freedom to be in right standing with God through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So it's such good news then when Jesus says a couple verses later, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And this means that the more that we submit to Jesus and the more that we let him take control of our lives, the more our sinful thoughts and desires and attitudes and habits, they lose their control over us. Now, as Christians, of course, we're still going to battle with sin, but we're no longer slaves to it. Through the power of Christ, if you let him take control of your life and as you let him take control of your life, there's no bondage that you can't be set free from, big or small. So from unhealthy habits like gossip or gluttony to major life-altering addiction, Jesus can set us free. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association said it like this, Jesus Christ rescues us from the slavery of sin and offers true freedom in this life and beyond. But see, too often, we look at freedom in Christ as a freedom to do whatever we want, and we forget that sometimes what we want is a desire that's not in line with or is not submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus. We, myself included, we love to skate dangerously close to territory that's not healthy for us. Now, sometimes that's done with a sense of pride where we think we're above certain sins. Sometimes it's just, we're just careless. And I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of marriages, even Christian marriages, broken by affairs with other Christians, and nobody saw it coming. I've seen a lot of crises of faith that take place after a person immerses themselves in the, in the culture's entertainment and philosophy, kind of the thinking of the day, and they don't stay grounded in God's word and stay grounded in Christian community. So sometimes it's a sense of pride, sometimes it's just carelessness, but we do need to remember, we have to be careful that sometimes our desires are not submitted to the will of Jesus. Now, Andy Stanley, he's a pastor at a megachurch in Atlanta, and he's a great author. And a few years back, he wrote a study called Guardrails. It's a whole teaching study. I highly recommend it. And, you know, like when you're driving on the road or, you know, you look out and see those guardrails along the road. And sometimes you see that they actually did their job. They're a little beat up and they kept a car from maybe falling down a, down a hill. And Andy Stanley talks about those guardrails being found in potentially dangerous places. So on a bridge where there's not a lot of room for error or maybe 
uh, on a, in a median to keep oncoming traffic from hitting you, or, or even in a, in a curve. There's just an unexpected change, and you'll see a guardrail there. And Stanley's argument is that those guardrails are put not, not at the place of danger, but before that place of danger. And so they direct and protect us from catastrophe. And so he further goes on with the metaphor saying that, if we, that we need to set up those guardrails in our own lives, that we submit to the Holy Spirit and we put guardrails in place to keep, keep us from harming our own relationships and our uh, finances and even our thought lives. And I think one of the most profound points that Stanley makes has to do with the fact that our culture is not interested in guardrails. Our culture is not even interested in painting lines on the road. Our culture would say something like, if you aren't causing any harm to anybody else, you should be free to do it. You should have the freedom to do it. And we know that that logic really doesn't hold up. We know that most of the time, at least in my case, when I'm hurting other people, I'm not even aware that I'm hurting other people. So that logic starts to break down. It breaks down even further if you've ever been caught in, a, in what I might call a lifestyle sin or a secret sin pattern or some sort of addiction that, that maybe it's not actually causing harm to other people, but, but you know that it's bondage, plain and simple. It doesn't look like freedom at all. And we have to remember, we're not above falling into any particular sin. We're no better than anyone who's still slave to sin. And without regular and continued submission to the rule and reign of Jesus, we can very quickly return to the sins that we've been set free from. We're really creative. We can even find new sins to become enslaved to. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, sometimes what we want is not in submission to the rule and reign of Jesus, and we need to understand that that's not the freedom that Jesus gives. Other times, we might look at freedom in Christ as a freedom to do whatever we want, but the thing that we want, it might not be a, a sinful desire, but it just might not be what God has for us at the time. So, let me give you an example. We're still social distancing right now. Uh, we wanted to take our kids to the pool, but we haven't. I don't even know if the pools are open, but we wanted to reward our kids for doing a good job in school this year. So, kind of Sad to say that we, we paid many times what we should have paid for a kind of a pop-up pool in the backyard, an above-ground pool with a kind of the inflatable ring. We paid way too much money for it uh, because that's the market right now for pools. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to reward the kids, and they love it. Now, they're three big boys now. They're uh, 16 and 14 and 9, so they make the pool look pretty small. I thought it was pretty big when we bought it. Uh, but they make it look small, but I was flashing back to when they weren't so big when they were just little guys. And I was thinking back to Luke, uh, who's 14 now, and he uh, was just a little buddy, maybe a year old, but the moment Olivia and I would go into the pool with him, he'd start kicking and flailing. And it wasn't because he wasn't having fun. He was having a blast. It was because he wanted to be free of us. Now, he had the little floaties on his arms, and, uh, but you know, I bet he still would have drowned pretty quickly if he actually got free of us. But he didn't know what he didn't know, and he just wanted to be free of us. He didn't want us holding on to him in the pool. And you know, even though he would have drowned if, if we'd have let him, let him go, that didn't, that didn't stop him. That didn't stop him from kicking and flailing and trying to be free of us. And you know, that's often where we are as Christians in misunderstanding the freedom that Jesus gives. Sometimes we forget that the freedom that Jesus gives us is in giving us peace when it's time to wait in giving us perseverance when things are tough, in giving us grace and forgiveness when we've been wronged. See, sometimes our freedom is in trusting Jesus right where things are and right where we are. And it's not the freedom to go somewhere else and do something else. 
So the freedom to do what God has is not only those things, the, the, the freedom to do what God has for us. It's, it's a freedom to, to take some risks that the world might not take, uh, to take risks with our finances, with our job decisions, with our social circles. It's the freedom to love people that the world would call unlovable. There's a lot of freedom there. And see, our Bibles are not always full of these extremely practical decisions and logical conclusions when it comes to what God has for us to do. Our Bibles are filled with stories of God choosing who we would think is the ill-equipped person for the job. Stories of God telling people to do things we would never expect. And mostly of God showing unmerited mercy and favor on us. And our Bibles are full of examples where we see that real satisfaction is in doing what God has for us and not necessarily what we might choose for ourselves. And a lot of you might have seen this play out personally in your own lives. You know that God, what God has for us is better than anything we could have done for ourselves. And sometimes we get to see that play out right away. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to see, you know, Lord, what were you doing? Or how can I see that what you were doing is better than what I was trying to do? Let's, let's take a couple examples. You're, you're, you want to buy a house. You're in contract on a house. You love the house. It's your house and it falls through. You don't get the house. Sometimes, sometimes God will bring along another house that's even better than the one you were in contract on, that meets even more of your needs, that's even more of the house than the one you thought you were going to get. And so God graciously shows you right there that his plan was better than yours. Sometimes this happens in relationships. You could be in a relationship, you're engaged to a person to be married, and it painfully falls apart. Sometimes God brings along that next person. In my case, I was engaged to, to a person that wasn't the person I should have married, and I didn't end up getting married. It was a very painful breakup. And, but the Lord brought along someone pretty quickly who was Olivia. And if you know who Olivia is, you know she's the right one. She's lovely. So sometimes we get to see that. Sometimes we get to see the Lord giving us uh, kind of the better option right away. Sometimes we have to wait, but we know that in all cases, what God has for us is better than what we had in mind anyway. So point number one, the freedom Jesus gives is not a freedom to do what we want so much as what, we, uh, what God has for us. Point number two is this. The freedom that Jesus gives is not a freedom to do what we should do so much as a freedom to do what we may. Michael recently shared a quote with me from an early 20th century German theologian named Helmut Thielich. And he said this. I'll just read it. The Christian stands not under the dictatorship of a legalistic you ought, but in the magnetic field of Christian freedom under the empowering of the you may. So what does this mean? This means that as soon as we hear point number one, that the freedom that Jesus gives has, has to do with doing what God has for us, and that we should have these metaphorical guardrails set in place, we can instantly fall into the trap of thinking that it's not really freedom, it's a tightrope. And it's a tightrope we have to walk with arms tied behind our backs, and there's consequences and pitfalls everywhere. And if you grew up in the church, or maybe if you haven't decided to give your life to Jesus yet, faith and freedom in Jesus might kind of look like a tightrope. You might have even had a crisis of faith and looking at your experience in the church or your relationship with God and thought something like, I've only had guardrails. I've had nothing but behavior modification. Like, like faith and grace and freedom, especially freedom, is just a buzzword. Grace is a buzzword. It's, it's a reset button that you use. So you try hard, you screw up, you feel guilty, you press the reset button of, of grace and freedom and try harder next time. But that doesn't sound like freedom. That's not the freedom that Jesus has for us. Or you might have had doubts in considering what God might have for you. And you felt like there was some singular path that you had to be on. 
And that path was based on every decision that you made, every action that you took or didn't take, and that you were constantly wondering whether or not you were in the will of God or not in the will of God, in his perfect will. And that's not freedom either. That's not the freedom that Jesus came to give. See, as we read earlier in John 8.36, Jesus said, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, Jesus wouldn't, wasn't saying indeed like I would say indeed. Like I would indeed like a sports car and cheese fries or maybe both. Not that, not indeed like for sure. He was saying indeed like really, like truly. So to be set free by Jesus is what it really means to be set free. And even those verses in the Bible about God's good and perfect and pleasing will, those verses come from Romans 12, those had to be able, those were, were having to do with testing what God's perfect and pleasing will was because our minds are transformed and renewed by God himself. It's not that there's some tightrope that we have to walk. It's, it's that if we are walking hand in hand with Jesus, right beside Jesus, there's no question as to whether or not we're on the right path. In fact, even that road analogy with the guardrails isn't a good picture of the vast freedom we have in Jesus, unless the road had hundreds of lanes. That would be more apt. And perhaps the best analogy, and you may have heard this from someone, I didn't make this analogy up, is that we can look at our freedom in Christ as a big playground with a fence around it. And for those of us who have kids or who have been a kid, a playground is a super fun place to be. There's lots of room to run and play. There's lots of things to do. There's slides and swings and jungle gyms. And there might be boundaries, but when we're having fun in the middle of the playground, the boundaries don't really come into play. We're not even really thinking about that fence. And to take the analogy further, let's think of us as little ones playing in the playground with Jesus as our parent watching over us while we play. Sometimes we'll want to do things we shouldn't, and Jesus will tell us no if we ask him. Sometimes we won't ask him, and we'll do things we shouldn't and get hurt because of it. Sometimes we'll accidentally fall and he'll catch us. Sometimes we'll ask Jesus if we can climb off of a super high place that we've climbed up, and we'll ask if we can jump off, and he'll say, no, that's too high. Other times, Jesus will surprise us, and he'll say, no, climb even higher. Climb even higher and then jump off, because he's going to catch us. Sometimes we'll do whatever we want for a season on the playground, and not only will Jesus allow that, he'll enjoy watching us. See, the freedom that Jesus gives is true freedom. Real freedom is in doing what God has for us. And there's a lot of choice and fun and joy along the way. It's not a tightrope, it's a playground. See, the freedom that Jesus gives isn't so much doing what we want to do as much as it is just doing what he has for us to do. And it's not doing the things we ought to do so much as it is just walking with Jesus and seeing what he has for us along the way. So we're going to move into ministry time now. Let's just take a minute and just invite the Holy Spirit to come and see how he would have us respond to this talk. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. You know, as I prepared this sermon I felt like there would be some folks who identify kind of in one of two camps. The first camp would be a group of people that just, they know they need to surrender their will to what God has for them. That we need to remember that we're making a trade and it's a really good trade. We're trading our best schemes and ideas and plans, which don't really matter 
they don't really amount to a whole lot if you consider that we can't change our scenario, we can't change our environment, we don't know the future. We're trading those to a God who knows all and sees all and controls all and loves us more than we could ever love ourselves and has plans for us, plans to prosper us and not harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. That's who we're making the trade to and that's what we're making the trade for. And when we do that, if we accept the freedom in that, we'll see that there's more freedom there than anything we could have tried to make for ourselves. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to pray a prayer, uh, to pray a prayer of surrender with me. And if you've never prayed a prayer of surrender to Jesus to give him control of your life, then I would ask that you do that as we pray together. And then we would just ask that you tell a follower of Jesus or tell someone here at the church that you made that decision so that we can come alongside you and support you in that. The other camp of folks would be those people who really more identified with the second point, that felt like maybe their relationship with God was based on condemnation and guilt, or even a constant worry that you might not be in the will of God at that moment. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you that this is not how God looks at you. God looks at you, like if you're a parent, like how you would look at your own kids. God is saying, I love you. I want to be with you. I want you to walk alongside me. I want you to, the, to know the joy of playing in the playground with me watching over you. I want you to experience true freedom. And if that's you, I just invite you to just receive his love and grace for you as we pray. So let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you that where you are, there's freedom. And we accept that real freedom comes from doing what you have for us. And Lord, I just repent, and we just repent for the times that we have, have run far from you and have been rebellious, and we've done that in, in the name of freedom, when really it's just been rebellion. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring your freedom, true freedom, to every person that's watching this sermon? Would you draw near to each person? Would you remind them of the joy that comes in following you? I just pray against feelings of guilt and legalism and just ask that the words grace and freedom would have new and fresh meaning today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now we're going to end with just one more worship song. and Let's just continue to draw close to the Lord and have him minister to us as we close.